Big Shiny Takes is part of the Harbinger Media Network, which is home to other great podcasts like Oats for Breakfast and the Off Court Podcast. If you like our show, please let us know by leaving a review or support us on Patreon. What's up, Big Shiny Takers and Fakers? You're listening to the Anti-Free Speech Podcast. My name is Jeremy. And joining me, as usual, are Marino. Hola. And Eric. Hey. I feel like this is the first episode we've done, like, just the original three in a very long time, at least for, like, our regular feed that all the peasants can listen to. All the people that like the podcast but don't really like the podcast. The fake friends. The fake friends. But, yeah, we're doing it. Just us three, and... uh, we're here to talk about end-of-year columns, right? You see oh, them yeah. every single year. Oh, the top moments of 2020. You know, things to look out for in 2021 is a nice uh, flip side to it, which really does mm-hmm. the same thing. And as I've been thinking about it, this particular genre is simply manufacturing consent for the things that you want to happen in the new year and maybe people in positions of power are telling you are going to happen and as well as looking back at 2020 and obviously making your friends look good and your enemies not so much and of course uh here at big shiny takes we are not above that but (laughs) we have a couple of columns both published in the sun newspapers though the first one is a syndicated columnist followed by the name of hugh hewitt um, who wrote this for the Washington Post, but it got picked up. And I, I think Post Media has some arrangement with WAPO that they can print their stuff if it's, like, shit enough. <laughs> but so um, Hugh Hewitt, do you guys know who he is? I have no idea who Hugh Hewitt is, but a great alliteration name. Um, I feel like some people are named to be cranks in the future. I read a bit about him, but... I feel like you want to enlighten us, uh, Jeremy. He's he's certainly an interesting figure. Well, yeah, I mean he's a he's a specific type of grifter, right? Like we talk a lot about mm. the you know why I left the left grift, the my free speech is under attack by my book grift, but this is the sort of neocon demon never Trumper turned Trumper. So the demonic. tale as old as time, really. Yeah, and so Politico once described him as an ardent Reaganite, which I don't think was intended as an insult, but yeah, <laughs> sounds that way. Um, now in, on CNN, he said with regards to George W. Bush's decision to invade Iraq that it would go down as one of the wisest he has made. He never misses. Yeah, so this guy is very perceptive. This was in 2006 also, right? So, oh my God. Well, I mean, it, it was. it's only been three years at that point. I mean, time will tell with those things. Yeah, there was, there was an initial fervor where everyone was super patriotic post 9-11, and that quickly dissipated, and we realized, oh wait, war, also war with not the people who claimed the attack, not so good. Yes, 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 yes. And, of course, like Nelson Mandela once said, war, what is it good for? Really? He said that? 
<laughs> yeah, it turns out absolutely yeah. nothing, by the way. At the end of Malcolm X. Oh, I is it like it's a post credit sequence, right? <laughs> Something yeah, like yeah. that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um so this guy's obviously a Republican. He's a talk radio host in the States. You know, I mean, because he's a Republican, so they all have radio shows. And uh, he is also a columnist for the Washington Post. And so in 2016, in August of 2016, uh, Hugh Hewitt uh, publicly floated the idea of replacing Donald Trump with Ivanka on the ticket. <laughs> what? On October 8th, he again called for Donald Trump to drop out of the race after the grab him by the pussy tape was revealed. And then a month later, he voted for Trump. <laughs> so this guy is like, this guy's got integrity, right? <laughs> He's not selling out to anyone. He's just speaking his mind. And if it's one thing one day and it's something else next i mean power to him you gotta respect the hustle of like all right we tried to beat him this is what conservatism is now so defend him and uh with that in mind let's uh get to uh hugh hewitt's 2020 in review column that was first published in the washington post and then i read it in the calgary sun who wants to read uh this uh this piece of shit column I can read this one, and then one of you can read the next one. And so this is a column entitled, Goodbye 2020, You Were Awful, But Some Lights Shine Through. So we're looking at which lights Mr. Hewitt thinks shine through. For most people, a list of the best news stories in 2020 would be extremely short. But even in a year marked by much grief and countless sorrows, there have been terrific examples of great changes for the better. It was so hard for me not to read uh, Soros as Soros, but... Soros. <laughs> <laughs> Moving along. Chief among these is the success of Operation Warp Speed, the Trump administration's vaccine development project. Few predicted that one, much less two, pioneering vaccines would result so quickly from this vast outpouring of effort and government funding to the private sector. The remarkable all-hands-on-deck explosion of ventilator production that began last spring might have already faded from memory, but no one whose life has been dealt a blow by the pandemic will ever forget the arrival of the Moderna and Pfizer BioNTech vaccines. <laughs> did they just did they actually just point to the US's dealing the COVID-19 pandemic as a positive for this year? Well, well, you have to admit that there has never been a greater American response to the COVID-19 pandemic than 2020. <laughs> <laughs> the best um, one we've had so far. Yeah. So yeah, I looked. I looked up Operation Warp Speed, and it started on May fifteenth. So Warp Speed is uh, two months after like the pandemic really hammered American cities. So it's definitely reactive. Sorry, he's totally dismissing the fact that like the Trump administration admis- initially downplayed the pandemic. And you know what? If he's talking so much about like this, he's heralding this investment in private 
industry. Like if only there were some economic model that was even faster than a public private partnership. If only there were policies that were proactive rather than reactive when it comes to public health. Even even today, Fauci was complaining about how how slow the vaccine rollout has been. But the U.S. has been number one in cases basically the entire time the virus has made its way to the Western Hemisphere. It kind of is, uh, it's one of those looking at the big picture and then hyper-focusing on, like, the one part that makes the part that you want to talk about look good. Because, mm-hmm. like, yeah, sure, funding things is great, but what what about the entire rest of the thing? Yeah, but you've got to give the private sector time to work its magic, right? <laughs> Just let the free market sort it. Yeah, you know? good, good things come to those who wait. The COVID-19 pandemic won't be the last one. Another is inevitable, perhaps more dangerous, and possibly arriving relatively soon. Operation Warp Speed's example of public-private partnership has set the standard for how to respond. Uh, uh, no, it hasn't. Like, if anything, it demonstrates the fallacy inherent in public-private partnership that we can be more efficient by downloading costs onto the public and privatizing profit. And I mean, if you want to look at the countries that did the best job uh, handling COVID-19, like Taiwan and uh, New Zealand, they have robust public healthcare systems. The scientific breakthroughs assembled under this banner will be a blessing to medical research for decades to come, just as the U.S. space program (laughs) fueled a half-century's worth of dynamic scientific and technological advances. In a year shadowed by deadly illness, closed schools, and economic setbacks, Operation Warp Speed offered inspiration and hope. To who? (laughs) The people who were dealt a blow by the COVID-19 pandemic. They're like, oh shit, a vaccine. That'll resurrect my dead family member. (laughs) Or they'll be dead and not think anything. Or they'll be like, oh, a vaccine. And then realize they can't get it until like Mm -hmm. late 2021. And that they still don't have public health care. Yeah, I I don't think that... Operation Warp Speed is the slam dunk that our boy <laughs> thinks it is. Like, why Why do you think that talking about anything about the, the pandemic in relation to the United States is, like, cause for celebration? Like, it, it's a travesty what's happened. They're going to clear, like, half a million deaths by the end of the month. That's horrible. But you have to admit... Warp speed sounds really cool. It, it does it's sound a, really cool. You're you're right. It's I'm very sorry. fast. <laughs> Is there anything faster than warp speed? That's faster than light speed, right? <laughs> It, it literally is like bending the universe so you get from one point to another closer. The only thing faster than warp speed is love, Jeremy. <laughs> Let's get back into the piece. Oh, this is a good one. This is, this is spicy. <laughs> this was also the year of the Abraham Accords. Israel and the United Arab Emirates took the lead in most of the risk here, with the UAE demonstrating the courage it has shown in many years of deployments of its special forces to Afghanistan. 
For its part, Israel had to size up the opportunity and agree not merely to suspend settlement expansion in some contested areas of the West Bank, but also concede that the provision of F-35 stealth fighter jets to the UAE would not imperil the Jewish state. With the subsequent addition of Bahrain, Sudan, and Morocco, the Accords are a major milestone on the road to stability in the Middle East. All these countries are very strong supporters of human rights. <laughs> I just have this image of Hugh Hewitt, like, edging slowly as he maintains the status quo. And by the way... Um, there, there aren't some contested areas of the West Bank. It's the entirety of the West Bank is occupied as the International Court of Justice is ruled, as like a million like General Assembly resolutions have concluded and a few Security Council ones. The West Bank is occupied. Israel going above the Palestinians' heads and trying to cut deals with all these Gulf theocracies and North African tyrannies isn't something to celebrate, especially because they've never fought a war against any of them, right? It's not like when Israel made peace with Egypt, which I think is a similar problem as with with this. They were trying to box the Palestinians in, but at least they had fought a war with Egypt, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They had fought several wars with Egypt. I just thought it was very interesting language when they said some, and I'm glad you brought that up. But, like, mm-hmm. how many does some mean? Is it, like, a spot? Is it, like, a parking lot that they're just like, yeah, we're not going to build. We're not going to build on top of that. Like, what What does that mean? I feel like we should quantify this in some sort of way if we're going to treat it as a win. Well, I think what neocons are referring to when they say some is that under Israeli law, all the settlements are legal except for those that didn't get permission from the Israeli government to build there, like a shack set up by some like fanatical Orthodox Jew who just wants to like raise like every Palestinian building to the ground. Those are legal, those are going too far. But the big settlements that are also largely set up by religious fanatics, but uh, increasingly populated by immigrants from the Arab world and Russia who go there seeking economic opportunity because it's their frontier and there are all these incentives to settle illegally in the occupied territories. Very, very nice of them to suspend suspend the settlement. They didn't very even. Rich. They suspended. And that's another yeah. thing where this uh, this paragraph is false. They What they suspended was their plan to annex the settlements and apply cool. like essentially f- formally uh, creating apartheid in the West Bank. Uh, historians will mark 2020 as the beginning of the great coalescing of an international anti-Chinese Communist Party movement. Countries that once avoided upsetting Beijing are moving closer to Washington's harder and largely bipartisan stance. Which countries? Like which countries are they talking about? That used to be pro-China, but are now not. Like, what, are they talking about, like, Algeria, Pakistan, etc., etc.? Are they talking about, like, African countries? No. They're talking about countries like Canada that have had, like, okay relations with China and now don't have such okay relations with China. 
It's not like people across the world are waking up to the threat of the Chinese menace. No, you know what? Like, we're just uh, we're ramping up for some real Cold War with China rhetoric these days. Um, there's a great episode of 49th Parallel that goes right into that with uh, Dan Beckner from Wolf Parade. Um, oh, yeah, I just listened to that. We should get Dan on. Yeah, he rules, man. Um, he... <laughs> He, like was ripping on the McDonald Laurier Institute, which rules. Let's get let's get back into this call. The United States has led in demanding not just accountability from the CCP on the origins of COVID nineteen within Wuhan, but also on demands that telecommunications giant UI sees its attempt to infiltrate and infect the world's five G networks, and that the Uyghur people be released from the gulags the CCP has built for them. A lot to unpack in that one sentence. So the origins of COVID-19 within Wuhan, hasn't it been determined that the disease was present in the United States before the outbreak in Wuhan? I uh, Didn't I read that? I really didn't like the wording of that uh, article because, like, it was maybe, maybe allegedly discovered in Wuhan, like... Diseases don't originate in a state. You know, it's kind of just like, oh, this is it's it, it, he without saying it, he's saying it's the China virus. And like, I wonder if Hewitt would be as willing to call the new strain of covid like the UK covid virus, you know? No, because that would be that would be bigoted. But like as Clinton <laughs> in, or as he posited in our last episode, Dr. Theo Fleury. Um, has <laughs> let the Canadian public know that the virus was created in a lab in Wuhan and we should all be mad at China for it. Well, wasn't it? No, didn't he say it was like created by Bill Gates to destroy the economy and help the liberals get elected? I think that's what he said. Also, he talks about gulags for Uyghurs in China and um, take a wild guess as to which country has a greater proportion of its population in prison than China. Mm. Is it America? It is America. Oh, all right. Hong Kong no longer has even the paper-thin veneer of limited freedoms it once had, a devastating loss that has sent shockwaves through world capitals. Did you, I mean, you guys live in Toronto, which is like the capital of the world. Did you feel any shockwaves? There were some protests, but I didn't go to any of them. No one cares. No one in the Western world fucking cares, really. They care because it's politically convenient for them to be like, oh, see? Like, again, I'm not going to, like, I'm not going to celebrate any infringement on people's freedoms that China, like, conducts. But, like, come on. Like, all these grifters and, and, and like, neoliberal politicians, they're just agreeing with it because it suits their political narrative. Yeah, and there's a complete willingness, unwillingness to understand why China behaves in the way that it does, right? Mm -hmm. Instead of just imposing our Eurocentric standards onto them. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're like, um, read Chairman Mao's little red book. It, it you know, I think it, I don't agree with every word of it, though a lot of it's really cool. <laughs> but I think it gives you a good sense of 
how the Chinese Communist Party, that their project involves destroying like the old feudal religious order in creating a new one in its place in doing so quickly mm-hmm. right free states can no longer pretend to not know the nature of chairman xi jinping yes he is also president xi but the party title is more important and his plans dum 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 <laughs> like what are they he, he's right the next paragraph is something com- totally different and actually i'm just gonna go right into it because it's fucking hilarious because remember he's talking about the good things that happened this year right the silver linings in a terrible year so here's one finally the sad passing of justice ruth bader ginsburg after long and courageous struggles and decades of principled jurisprudence could have led to yet another confirmation hearing meltdown. So he's saying that Justice Ginsburg dying was very sad, but it was good. <laughs> yeah. And he does it in a roundabout way, as we'll yeah, see when he, yeah. as he goes on, but, but he totally is implying that. But while the questioning of Amy Coney Barrett was heated, attacks from senators on her record did not cross bright red lines. And her confirmation allowed for a tilt of the Supreme Court toward a consolidation of viewpoints on how the Constitution ought to be applied. There are now six solid originalists on the country's highest court for the first time in my life as a lawyer. (laughs) Fuck, I just like... If there was ever a moment to invoke the Simpsons, like Lionel Hutt's Imagine a World Without Lawyers thing, like this is the fucking line. Why do people think the Constitution, like the United States Constitution is good? Like, like what's the third amendment to the Constitution? Like it allows you to um, refuse military trying to stay in your house overnight or something. That was like, why do we think that this this thing is relevant and good and and necessary? Like it's it's a deeply flawed document. Yeah, I mean we're a Canadian podcast, so I think originalist arguments can just be dismissed without any argument because that's not a thing here. Like, well, for one, we don't have a constitution, right? We have the Constitution Act, which brought in the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, but we don't have a constitution. So. I mean, it's a bit different. If you're listening from the States, and according to Buzzsprout, we do have some American listeners. Um, yeah, hello, They may America. not be human listeners, but... You know. Nah, we'll take them. Doesn't the fact that, like, amendments even exist imply that you should not be taking, like, an originalist approach with this, like, 300-year-old document? Here's why the Constitution still applies to today. There's reason to hope that the rights of free exercise of religion, speech, and due process against woke mobs backed by any sort of state action and a return to the bedrock protection of property rights against impositions from federal, state, and local bureaucrats is at hand. Okay, cool. So America's going to go back to protecting property and nothing else. (laughs) Freedom of religion, all that means is I get to do Christianity in a way that I can oppress you with it. Like, that's all it means in the United States. It's never, they never talk about freedom of religion when they're talking about, uh, like, Sikhs or Muslims. Well, yeah, I I mean, it's interesting because this freedom of religion crowd are very much against freedom of religion as it pertains to Muslims, right? 
Further to Mr. Hewitt's uh, concerns about free speech, I'd like to go back to his Wikipedia page to read a little excerpt. Uh, In 1989, Hewitt became the executive director of the Richard Nixon Presidential Library and Museum, a very esteemed position. Uh, In 1990, he sparked controversy by proposing a screening of researchers wishing to use the library resources. He suggested refusing admissions to researchers deemed unfriendly, that's in scare quotes, specifically Bob Woodward, whom he characterized as not a responsible journalist. Uh, It became a point of contention, blah, 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 and he left the Nixon Library in 1990. So, you know, selective with the application of free speech. I mean, to be fair, Bob Woodward is not a credible journalist in 2020. I mean, he literally sat on the fact that Donald Trump admitted that he was downplaying covid so Woodward could sell more books, right? Like, he's a hack, but... Yeah, still. Exactly. Like, I guess it's okay because he wasn't part of a woke mob. <laughs> oh, fucking oh fuck. Okay, so, uh, so basically, he calls this uh, new majority on the Supreme Court a lantern in the dark days of 2020 that has only begun to burn. But, he continues, none of these four stories will bring back a single soul lost to the virus around the world, or restore freedom to Hong Kong, or assuage the regret at the loss of a great jurist, or guarantee peace's full flowering in the Middle East. None will reduce the disappointment of President Trump's 74 million voters, or of the would-be Democratic senators who thought they would join Senate Minority Leader Charles E. Schumer in a history-making filibuster ending in Supreme Court packing congressional majority but all four achievements are large and enduring they're sort of signposts every historian far down the road will look back and mark may there be many more of them and far fewer of the terrible setbacks across the globe in 2021 (laughs) how does he know that those achievements are enduring sometimes you just know you know yeah like is there a definition of enduring i'm not aware of no he's just an ass I think, like, flat out, this is just him being dumb. There's nothing really, like, exciting or really telling about it. It's just, like, he just says it and just expects you to take it as face value. Kind of like how he expects you to take the entire piece, right? Like, the fact that Operation Warp Speed is listed is, like, a big thing for him. This entire piece is just, like, one sentence that you're just meant to accept at face value after the other, right? Like there's, there's no reason to believe anything that he says and he gives no reason to make you believe it, but you just have to accept it to get to the next sentence until you're done the entire column. Like it sucks. I think that's like pretty typical of these stupid end of year articles. Like uh, opinion pieces kind of always try to present like, this is a huge problem with opinion pieces. They always try and present themselves of some sort of, objective fact because i said it and just the fact that it's also coming as like this end of year thing it's just like like exacerbates that uh aspect it's just like oh yeah like and that's the end of that chapter clap hands and yeah what i said was true and don't question it all the things that are listed as good things are good because they're good and also the re- <laughs> the very few reasons i'm gonna put down are actually kind of dumb there's no real justification for anything in there at all to make you think that this year has been has anything to celebrate um it's kind of kind of morbid when you think about it 
yeah so that was that from uh some american content coming your way we've got a column in a similar vein sort of that's a bit different it's from a hell of a guy i'm sure you've all heard of uh named warren kinsella what 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 do you fellas know about warren kinsella so warren kinsella was he like the self-proclaimed prince of the dark arts kind of (laughs) yeah Yeah, he he did call himself that he was like a kretchen staffer there's a famous photo of him on uh, on CBC or one of the talk shows with a uh, Barney the Dinosaur stuffed animal saying that this is what um, Stockwell Day believes about creation, <laughs> which is kind of funny. But. That's, that rules. The first time I ever heard of Warren Kinsella is because I was on antiracistcanada.blogspot.ca way back when. And it was basically a website where they just outed neo-nazis in canada and kind of exposed the things that they said in their private facebook chat groups and stuff where they were promoting warren kinsella's book which was web of hate which is about you know the far-right network in canada and so i always thought warren kinsella was someone to take seriously and then i saw a column that he wrote in the sun which changed my mind very quickly about what i should feel about warren kinsella how about you guys For me, he really came on my radar as this dude that a former co-worker who was acquainted with him in some way uh, would, like, post statuses on. And then, like, in a professional sense, he became known to me through, like, hyping that he was going to drop, like, the latest dish on Trudeau during the election cycle, you know, for the globe. But that never really materialized, right? Yeah, so this is 2019. Um, So he's been a Toronto Sun columnist for a very long time. And he was always their token, like, partisan liberal. But there was definitely a discernible uh, shift in tone over uh, 2018, 2019. And it's not a coincidence that around that time he gave money to the Ontario Conservatives of Doug Ford. As we'll see, he also uh, worked for them. And um, he also, it turns out, I I mean, this was sort of the last scandal of the uh, 2019 election. I think it came out after the election, but he was actually working for Andrew Scheer to attack the People's Party of Canada. And I mean, I think that says a lot that the Conservative Party needs to hire like a washed up ex-liberal to distance them from you know far right people's party like they can't do it themselves they can't do it through like their words and actions use crayons on a piece of paper to dismiss bernier and the people's party here's uh here's some funny stuff about uh warren kinsella from a profile of uh steve pakin in the globe and mail i mean steve pakin we could do an episode on him and the absolute lunacy that he's given legitimacy to over the years from the likes of uh jonathan k and jordan peterson. peterson or just his love of italian canadian and ezra levant oh yeah, yeah yeah that too you gotta watch you gotta watch his old interview with ezra levant it's like stunning <laughs> how softball it was 
Um, you can tell you really love the guy. The headline of this piece is Steve Pakin, the journalist who likes everybody. <laughs> but as you find out reading in the piece, there is one exception. So in 2019, Warren Kinsella tried to pressure him to unbook a conservative author named Kathy Shadle, threatening to write a blog post about it if he didn't. Oh, no. Some high stakes there. Um, Pekin referred Kinsella to TVO's PR team, which was not taken kindly by Kinsella. Here's Pekin talking. Once he goes nuclear and emails the education minister, emails the chairman, emails the CEO, suddenly now this becomes an example of a liberal operative putting pressure on a public broadcaster to drop a guest. If we did, how the hell would that have looked? Buckling to the request of somebody who basically works for Ontario Premier Dalton McGuinty. Eight days later, Pekin, and this is classic Pekin, if Warren's ultimate goal was to deprive Kathy of a platform, his approach failed spectacularly. But he um, has since patched things up with Warren Kinsella and shook hands with him and said, Hi, how are you? The next time they saw each other to which Pekin said I am on speaking terms with everybody I know whether they're on speaking terms with oh me God, is another question grow a pair but here's an editor's note this profile of TVO broadcaster Steve Pekin refers to Warren Kinsella's objection to TVO hosting a conservative writer Mr. Kinsella says he objected as a private citizen and not as a quote unquote liberal operative as he was described in the original newspaper version and an earlier online version which certainly means that he threatens you. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's another thing about Kinsella. He loves suing people, but we haven't said anything about him. That's not true. So, or that. Not yet. Not on, yeah, not yet. But it's funny how he went from being an aggressively partisan liberal to now essentially aggressively partisan Tory. I know he would dispute that characterization but you know just read his columns and with that i think we should go into this one which is another genre of end of year column (laughs) um winners and losers yeah well this this one is pretty funny just off the top because like the headline is you know 2020 was the best of times the worst of times and it's hard not to harken back to the simpsons episode where mr burns has uh, like a hundred monkeys at a hundred typewriters so he can get the entire works of Charles Dickens written by him and he pulls off the sheet of paper and he's like it was the best of times it was the blurst of times and he rips up the paper and throws it at the monkey and goes you stupid monkey and the monkey gets all upset and he's smoking a cigarette um, that <laughs> monkey is Warren Kinsella uh, yeah I mean like the best of times worst of times there are cliches and then there are like superlative like we had a rule at page masters that you were not allowed to like use this fucking phrasing because it's so hack but sure all right it's good enough for the sun i guess it's like in 1980 oh my god like yeah there are certain books that like if someone quotes them you should stop listening reading them. them 
Yeah, stop, like, not stop reading them, because, I mean, we're proponents of hate reads, of course, yeah, yeah. but stop taking them seriously. I mean, and that's, you know, what, is that a tale of two cities yes. that that comes from? Yeah. yeah, there's that. There's 1984, Catherine Leroy, who else? Um, oh, Animal Farm. But I think Other Orwell is cool and good. I've quoted Other Orwell, and he had a lot of interesting things to say, but really any book that demonstrates that you've never read a book on your own time ever you know what this is this is a little bit of an aside but someone i used to date said i reminded her of holden caulfield from and i had never read it up until that point and then i read it and uh i definitely thought less of her after i read the book Girl sounds like a like a pretty big phone to me. <laughs> That's such a basic assessment of your fucking personality. Uh, anyways, yeah, let's keep going. Can I read this thing? You can. All right. So not a whole lot of mucking about at the start of this column. Goes headline: Kinsella twenty twenty was the best of times, the worst of times. Big picture of Trudeau with a graying beard. Then it just kind of jumps right into it. Here's my list of public figures from worst to best. Ranking the worst, number one, Justin Trudeau. Did okay at start of pandemic. Serb was a good program, but blew any goodwill with Wee Scandal. Oozes insincerity. We'll probably win again. I mean, where's the lie, I guess? Yeah, that's exactly what I thought. I mean, I wouldn't place him at number one. I would place him maybe like near the bottom of the worsts list. That's like how is how is he the worst if the first thing you had to say about him was did okay at start exactly pandemic? like he's the worst there's not a single person that did worse than mm-hmm. Justin Trudeau but he did okay it was a bad year guys 2020 was a bad year okay number two is Aaron O'Toole smarter than Andrew Shear which isn't hard take that Andrew Shear former employer well i know i mean andrew Shear made the mistake of him <laughs> right, right there you know that um aaron o'toole is not as haplessly stupid yeah he ran as a social conservative one leadership executed a whiplash inducing about face he became a progressive conservative set self back months with idiotic claim that genocidal residential schools were for education Warren Kinsella doesn't really care for grammar in this piece, and maybe it's because it's in the sun, but like it's cave writing. I, I don't know what he's doing here. He's channeling his inner Joe Ormington, <laughs> or Rick Bell for my Albertans here. After Justin Trudeau, clearly the worst person of the year, worst public figure of the year, Aaron O'Toole next. Number three, Jagmeet Singh. Shovels Trudeau's driveway, washes Trudeau's car jumps off any bridge Trudeau tells him to. Not a party leader as much as a Liberal Party staffer. Is there any specific reason why he wrote that? Well, I think because Jagmeet keeps voting for Trudeau's budgets. And, I mean, there's a lot more truth to that than, like, the Liberal hysterics who are like, oh, he, him and, you know, Andrew Scheer are, like, the same thing. Yeah. Right? Where it's like... Okay, well, if he's so obstructionist, it's interesting that the government hasn't fallen. But he also yeah. did put forward that uh, uh, wealth tax bill that the conservatives and liberals like coordinated and shut down. Oh, yeah. And then all the liberals on Twitter were like, I support progressive taxation, but a wealth tax, you're taking things away from Ugh. people. And it's like, 
what do you think progressive taxation is and how is it different? Liberal Twitter is the... F- and then they're like, it's bad. All right. Number four worst public figure in Warren Kinsella's simple Dark Prince mind. Elizabeth May. Who? What? More importantly, why? So, I don't know why he's bringing up Elizabeth May. Maybe it's because Elizabeth May won't go away. But, again, like, worst? I found this one interesting because, for me, the worst thing that Elizabeth May did this year was actively campaigning against, like, Green Party leadership nominee Miriam Haddad. But Mm -hmm. in Dimitri Laskara, she called him an anti-Semite. She told David Aiken... David Aiken's such a hack, she probably, her and Annamie Paul probably went to him and were like, we need you to run the story about this, this this crisis engulfing the party of it having more members than it's ever had and them supporting a candidate who uh, is different from the other three parties on foreign policy. Exactly. It's anti-Semitic. So he just sort of glosses also, over that. He doesn't name specifics for some reason and then uh, just resorts to this trite she's irrelevant thing which in my opinion is kind of lazy yeah well it's lazy because she, it's true. she had a like a really bad year like she crushed any sort of youth movement in the green party where i think dimitri lascaris is is a really smart guy i think he has some very 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 interesting things to say i think miriam haddad is an also an incredibly smart person who could have done a lot of damage as a green party leader but she almost didn't get to run because some Green Party higher-ups decided that her endorsement of a BC eco-socialist party was against the rules, and so she was ineligible to run, and then within 24 hours after, everybody's like, shut the fuck up. Like, let her run. But that's also rich coming from May, because as, as some people pointed out, in 2019, she endorsed uh, Jody Wilson-Raybo as an independent who was running against the Green Party candidate. So she just threw her own candidate under the bus yeah. and has the audacity to say that someone who's actually coming to the table with principles isn't allowed to do that. Um, yeah, no, she sucks ass. Um, I think Kinsella has a point here, but... It's also worth noting that before he was hired to work for the Conservatives in 2019, he was briefly hired to work for the Greens. Mm. Do you guys remember yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, I do remember that. I remember seeing that. And laughing. there was just such a backlash that, because, you know, Elizabeth May's miss, like, you know, civility, like, not left, not left, right, but forward. And uh, people, you know, criticized her hypocrisy on that file by pointing out that Warren Kinsella like boasts that he is the uh, you know the prince of darkness. He has a tendency to uh, dox people on social media that he doesn't like. And so after I think a couple weeks, they sent him out the door. And I believe Elizabeth May said that like his work here was done or something. Like she tried to like smooth it over. It's <laughs> um, but obviously uh, some sour grapes on Warren's part. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, the best way of not having Warren Kinsella darken your doorstep is not by inviting him in with uh, promises of money for his work. Um, so Elizabeth May objectively sucks. But also, like, again, fourth worst public figure in 2020. Like, this is the... Uh, it just it seems like he went, okay, leaders of the, the major political parties. They all stink. Yeah, because the next one 
is number five, Maxime Bernier. Which is, this is the, the laziest one so far. Uh, see Elizabeth May, comma, above. Like, what? <laughs> Wait, his problem with Maxine Bernier now is just that he's irrelevant? Yeah. Because that's not what he was saying when he was hired by the conservatives to attack him during the election. There's so many legitimate criticisms of both May and Bernier, right? They both suck. Mm -hmm. Okay, number six is Patty Haydu, alleged to be a federal minister of health, told us all to stay at home, flew hither and yon at taxpayers' expense. Hither and yon. Oh, okay. I guess we're going we're gonna to use words now. Very cool word. <laughs> uh, told us all to wear masks, didn't herself, went on aforementioned taxpayer-subsidized trips. Other than that stuff, doing great. Number six, worst person. I mean, I feel like if anyone needs to travel in the midst of a pandemic in a country as vast as Canada... <laughs> It's the health minister. It may be the health minister. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm, I'm just spitballing here. Like I'm, you know, I'm a total liberal apologist, as all our listeners know. Got a lot of skin in the game, but mm-hmm. again, like sixth worst, didn't wear a mask. That's the thing that she didn't do. And number six, after all the federal leaders of major political parties, we're starting to get a sense of Warren Kinsella's world, which is very, very small. It involves uh, people in the political class. Because I guess nothing else matters to him. Number seven, Derek Slow. If knuckle-dragging, mouth-breathing cavemen are your choice, Tory MP Sloan is your guy. Otherwise, an ongoing embarrassment to his riding, his party, and the nation. Seem, seems worse than just not wearing a mask. <laughs> yeah, See, he seems like a little bit worse than Patty Haydu and Jagmeet Singh and Justin Trudeau and and Aaron O'Toole for that matter. Yeah. Though I'm sure he has similar views on residential schools. Also, like he, he he's pretty harsh with the language, but nothing very specific in terms of what he did. It's almost like he doesn't want to like alienate the far right sun readers or something. Yeah, what did Derek Sloan do again? Uh, okay, so most recently he sponsored an anti-vax petition in the House of Commons. He is very transphobic, anti-abortion. Uh, he was right. He he ran to the right of Leslin Lewis, who, as listeners will know, is absolutely bonkers and is probably going to be the next conservative leader. Number eight, Bill Morneau, another federal politician. Okay, uh, it's not nice to pick on the politically dead. <laughs> Good one, Warren. Uh, but no one ever said we were nice. Forgotten French villas, unbalanced budgets, we scandal, multiple ethics probes. This former finance minister did them all. Then he took the fall. It rhymes very Ooh, good word. I like that. <laughs> well, that's that's Warren returning to his punk rock roots, <laughs> which isn't a joke. He used to be in a punk band. Like he he talks about that for clout. Like that. Yeah, he he's this like hard punk rocker who then, you know, cut his hair and got into politics and, you know, trying to find solutions to, you know, I I actually have a book of his uh, at my parents' house. Um, That's about his, like, his work against the far right, which seems to me to be very, like, very much more a branding exercise than actual, like, sincere uh, Mm -hmm. commitment. Maybe it's a bit of both. I don't know. Please don't sue me, uh, Warren. You follow me on Twitter. 
uh, even though I unfollowed you like ages ago. So we're good. Being litigious <laughs> is very punk. Yeah. One, one of the hallmarks of the genre. It is DIY. <laughs> <laughs> well, like do it yourself and with like lawyers. <laughs> Paid but, legal you know. professionals. I, I just, I want to know the name of his band. He was in a punk band called the hot nasty <laughs> that's so much worse than the van cats although they don't have Stephen harper on keyboard so i guess they have that going for them um oh, holy shit that's so embarrassing that's more embarrassing than um writing this column you can't sue me for that that's an expression of an opinion um right right after bill morneau at number nine we have Lynn Bayak, who everybody knows as the the craziest senator, there are a lot of things for which Stephen Harper shouldn't get the blame for his Senate appointee Bayak. He deserves blame big time. An unelected nobody who became a somebody for promoting racism, Bayak remains on the public teat. She deserves defeat. Very, like, in terms of the worst... Seems like not as high as she should be, yeah, personally. An- another person who should be higher on the Kinsella list. Kinsella loves his rhyming couplets. <laughs> it's his punk roots, you're right. I'm into Nothing it. More... Definitely. It's among <laughs> the more likable parts of this column. Honestly, they're all politicians. It's so embarrassing. Like He just doesn't know any other human beings. I, I don't know how to say this. Number 10, the Trowers? Troffers? is like a inside baseball politics thing oh people who are at the trough like little piggies yeah we'll say the troughers i don't give a shit you know why most newbie mps fear another election don't you they need six years of service to get their gold-plated mp pension until they reach that milestone an election remains highly unlikely that's the 10th worst person of the year okay Uh, (laughs) it's not a person (laughs) it's an idea yeah but no, I mean that's really that's definitely him playing to the Sun audience, right? Like that you know, there are these politicians riding the gravy train and nothing we can do except get rid of you know, cut, 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 right? It's the Rob Ford mindset that he is imbuing. Which makes sense because um as we'll soon learn, he worked for his brother. But like one to nine of his worst people of the year, the worst public figures of the year, are all politicians. And number 10 is literally politicians. But <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, an inanimate group of politicians that he's too cowardly to name any of. He just, what the fuck? He's got paid for this. Um, ranking the best, number one. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Premiers, generally. They hail from different regions. They belong to different parties. But our preems, it literally, capital P-R-E-E-M-S, have been the preeminent pandemic politicos. Wow. They've made some mistakes, sure. How would you strike the health, life, versus economies slash job balance? But have generally done well. I can think of one who really hasn't done well, and I'm just going to put it by this point since we've gotten through the worst part of the column. Spoiler alert, he doesn't mention Jason Kenney by name, who to me is the standout worst politician 
of the past year. I would object to that and point out that he has been in elected office since 1997. Therefore, he is the worst politician of the past 24 years. Yeah, of the millennium in Canada. But like he fired 11,000 health workers during a pandemic. He doubled down on a failing industry. Um, and <laughs> yeah, but they were asking for it. <laughs> Look, I live in Alberta, okay? I'm on the front lines here. I think I know. Yeah. Well, ranking the best premiers generally. That includes Jason Kenney. That includes <laughs> Doug Ford, for fuck's sake. But also, isn't, isn't he saying the exact same thing about the premiers that he said about Justin Trudeau? <laughs> like they did all right. Yeah. <laughs> Trudeau is that's the a, worst in the premiers. That's the an best. excellent observation. <laughs> He didn't even proofread this fucking thing. He's just like, yeah. He just like wrote it out. But which, Trudeau, I mean, Tr- Trudeau did do the Wii scandal, which did suck. I will admit that. Like, this is not like me being snarky, but like, come on. Yeah. Trudeau didn't fire eleven thousand provincial health workers. Yeah, I I would agree that giving like a non-profit organization with like kind of sketchy past a massive contract, and then also the news coming out that this charity has paid members of your family to do public speaking engagements is like an objectively greasy thing to do. I don't think it's as bad as firing 11,000 health workers in the middle of uh, an unprecedented global health crisis. One kills people. One is just like cronyism, which Mm -hmm. I mean, you should be held accountable for premier's number one, best number two, (laughs) Brian Pallister specifically. So a fucking premier. So wait, hold on. So, so number one is the premiers. Number two is a premier. <laughs> a premier who's done a really shit job, by the way. Like second only to Kenny. Press Progress has done some great reporting on him. Hmm. Well, let's uh, let's hear Kinsella's uh, rationale behind this. Ditching the script, Manitoba's premier made an emotional on-camera plea for people to wear masks and safely distance, and won a claim from everyone, from political opponents to members of KISS. Shout it out loud. Punk rock. There you go. KISS. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, like what? Gene Simmons? Did Gene Simmons shout him out? Because, like, Gene Simmons is a fucking, like, MAGA shithead. He sure is. sure is. In before he was MAGA, he was just a shithead. Yeah, no, Brian Pallister, um, first of all, he did not ditch the script. He adopted the script for that press conference where he was all teary-eyed. And uh, Press Progress had a good piece after he gave that speech, pointing out that he also, at the same time, was pushing back against giving vaccines to remote indigenous communities before the general population. So, you know, very compassionate fellow. I mean, he cried, right? And no one, no one has, like, why are, I've never heard of Crocodile Tears. Well, this is crazy because, like, he made it to the best of the year list. The the definitive best of the year list, which is Warren Kinsella's list in the Toronto Sun. Because Warren Kinsella saw the social media video of Brian Pallister crying. Which leads us to number three on the best public figures. Also, to this point, every public figure, politician. Number three, Doug Ford, specifically. <laughs> Sorry. The, the top three have all been premiers or premier. My firm did work for Ford's government once in the past, but that hasn't colored my judgment. 
During the pandemic, a new Doug Ford has been revealed, and voters like it. Kinder and gentler sits well on his shoulders. Keep at it. Wait, but he he did work for Doug Ford before he rebranded as, like, a guy you didn't want to punch in the face every time you saw him on the TV. So what's Warren saying about that? (laughs) That maybe, um... I mean, he is the Prince of Darkness, right? So I mean... There was a point in Doug Ford's premiership. Do you, can you call it a premiership? There was a point where the federal conservatives asked him to disappear for a bit during the election because he was doing such a shitty job going to war with the teachers and fucking up um, printing license plates and goofing off with uh, with the OCS and ending up losing millions of dollars and launching uh, legal marijuana stores. Like, <laughs> the dude sold hash in high school. How does he not know how to sell weed? Because he had to make a website doing it, and whoever's nephew made that website did a fucking bad job. It's not easy. I bet you. I bet you his hash was the bomb, though. Like, I, he strikes me as type of good, a type of guy who would just sell like the bombest hash, and he would know because like he samples it. Yeah, right? and he'd be confident about it too. Quietly confident. Okay, number four. Still ranking the best. Christia Freeland. So, for a second, uh, Warren Kinsella puts on his Max Fawcett costume. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) The erstwhile feminist deputy prime minister isn't Superwoman. Her silence during the savaging of Jody Wilson-Raybould and Jane Philpott was one major lapse. But she is clearly smart and capable. Unlike her boss. I mean, okay, you're going to have to break that into, like, is she smarter and more capable than Justin Trudeau? I would say yes. She's very smart, very capable, very, you know, blah, 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 all the girl boss talking points. Um, But there's also something he left out. Oh, what's that? Because there was someone someone who she's described as foundational in um, helping create her worldview. Um, a family member that you, may <laughs> may have done some light Nazi collaboration. Was it was it her Nazi grandfather? Yeah, how did you know? Crazy. Uh, you know what? I read the Kinsella column and I I just thought about all the things that he left out for all these people, and that for some reason that sprang to mind about Christian Freeland. I don't know why. Um, I actually read a great piece in uh, the Progress Report by a man by Jeremy Appel from the Forgotten Corner about that. So, yeah, Christian Freeland, very smart. She's kind of like the the Kamala Harris to Justin Trudeau's Joe Biden in the way that they're both incompetent boobs um, that kind of like like do finger guns and challenge people to push up contests. (laughs) And then like, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, there's like... um, the figurehead and then someone who actually like gets policy and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't like Christian Fielder. And they're though. both like psychopaths um, who happen to be women, <laughs> so you can't criticize them on their shitty records. Number five, Anime Paul, the newly minted Green Party leader, is unknown to many Canadians, but all Canadians should be happy to see a black Jewish woman smash several glass ceilings and win. Next, a seat in the Commons. 
So just as a reference, I'm going to read um, the the piece about Elizabeth May. Uh, who, what, more importantly, why? Back up to enemy Paul. The newly minted Green Party leader is unknown to many Canadians. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly what he's doing with the premiers <laughs> and Trudeau. <laughs> Right, he's he's (laughs) this, but it's bad. (laughs) This, but it's good. (laughs) Enemy Paul, who handpicked Enemy Paul to succeed them? I wonder. Crazy that you. I wonder who did, and then (laughs) intervened to put up roadblocks to her main rival attaining the leadership by in part smearing him as an anti-semite and going to her pal david aiken who actually when i met him uh when i was working at sun told me that the greens have been like begging him to run for them for That's years so and he said he said i told them i'll do it if you can guarantee me a seat like yeah one hundred fifty thousand dollars a year I'll, I'll i'll do it oh fuck which i just think should be in the public record i, I find that so disgusting one, because Aiken's a huge hack, but two, because they would actually do that. Yeah, but keep in mind, Elizabeth May hired Warren Kinsella. <laughs> <laughs> like, she doesn't have the best judgment. John Horgan is coming in at sixth best of the year. I don't know how this is this is actually ordered, because he says that he was ranking them worst to best, but then he's got them numbered as well. So, like, of the best, we're on six now. I don't know if the best was premiers or it's still to come. He doesn't really clarify. So number six is John Horgan, who's BC's premier. Let's see how this one starts. BC's premier deserved condemnation for calling an unnecessary election during the pandemic. But he won a majority because he's done a good job during the self. Same pandemic. Sixth best. Sixth best. (laughs) Like, that seems to be like, like, I think these people all fucking suck. (laughs) Except for like Jagmeet on like a good day. Yeah, based on his descriptions, like, he's selling Oregon the best. Like, like he won an election because he did a good job handling. Like, he's a winner. <laughs> like, what's not to like? And, yeah, I mean, there's the stuff about, like, building pipelines on indigenous land to export their uh, liquefied natural gas while hypocritically posturing against uh allowing more tar sands oil to flow to its coast but i mean you know i probably would vote for him if i lived in dc because what is the alternative um, or like the probably the eco-socialists actually i probably if they had a good candidate in my writing but yeah. um yeah well but yeah no it seems out of all these people he's listed like i think horgan objectively had the best year like just in terms of like results he was very politically savvy. Yeah, he won an election like the first worst listed person, uh, Justin Trudeau. Although that did happen in 2019. Yeah, but he only kind of won the election because like he got less votes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This this is a this is a flawed list, and I shouldn't keep bringing it up while we're reading it. We should save it to the end. Number seven, provincial public health officers, unlike their federal counterpart. The various provincial slash municipal public health bosses have been pretty outstanding. Dina Hinshaw in Alberta, Bonnie Henry in BC, Horacio Aruda in Quebec, Eileen De Villa in Toronto, and others. They communicate. They're coherent and they're clear. Not the one in Ottawa, <laughs> however. So You already said that. <laughs> I don't know what 
Patty Haydu did to Warren Kinsella, but I'm sure it, it was awful and not very punk rock of her. Number eight, another notable person, the mayors. <laughs> the aristocrats. <laughs> All of them. Yeah. Just every single one. How many municipalities are in Canada? Like 400. Full disclosure, I volunteered for Toronto's John Tory and Ottawa's Jim Watson in the past. But those two, along with Calgary's Nahid Nenshi, Edmonton's Don Iveson, Mississauga's Bonnie Crombie, Vancouver's Kennedy Stewart, and others have not hesitated to burn political capital to push unpopular public health measures. Gutsy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so tired. Yeah, I think that says it all. It speaks for itself. Yeah, yeah. Fucking just... Like, hey, here's this other guy I work for that I think is doing great. It's like, you're such a fucking hack, Warren. Like, how how do you wake up in the morning and look in the mirror? This is all fucking pandering. It's a cover letter. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's like the worst cover letter ever. Yeah, it does, it does suck because he's also like, he's kind of shooting himself in the foot by like trashing people in charge, but then like trying to get in with the people on the way up. Uh, coming in at number nine, Sir Bureaucrats. Oh, who could forget the uh, the vaunted Sir Bureaucrats? The Canadian Emergency Response Benefit. Wait, Serb Bureaucrats? <laughs> yeah, from Serbia. Right? Like, whoa, whoa. Like the butchers of Bosnia? Yeah, yeah, yeah. From Republika Srpska. Yes. Um, actually, it's Radovan Karadzic right there. Oh, shit. Isn't Karadzic, is, is he the guy who drank the poison before he... Like after he was sentenced, um, I don't know if if that was that was a Croat. That was Radovan Karadzic is the guy that it. Michael Enray interviewed on As It Happens back in the nineties, and he's like, you know, all all things considered, how's the ethnic cleansing going? And oh my like, god! He stuttered in a Serbian accent for a while. It, it is one of the best clips I've ever heard. Yeah, no, he's like a monster. Yeah. Like he is like because like you know, tankies will be like, oh well, how is uh, Milosevic to know? <laughs> what was going on right next to him by being done by political yeah, allies. People asking him permission. Um, but you can't say that about Karadzic, right? He is a mass murderer. Straight fuck yeah, up. He's the butcher of Bosnia. A- anyways, I digress. Yeah, yeah. Ninth best person. No, so sir, bureaucrats, the Canadian emergency response benefit literally saved millions of Canadians from hunger and worse during the pandemic. Thank the nameless officials in the Privy Council office, Revenue Canada, and Employment and Social Development who came up with the CERB, not politicians who later claimed credit. <laughs> Justin Trudeau, I'm guessing is who he's talking to. Who, who does he think instructs bureaucrats? Like, does he think bureaucrats just come up with their own policies? And, and I'm not, I don't want to like, um, I'm not trashing, you know, public servants who are increasingly expected to do more with less resources like you know everyone else but i'm gonna need a fact check on that yeah. <laughs> 10 the other unseen leaders <laughs> and and leaders like is, you is he, talk, is he talking about george soros <laughs> in like michael bloomberg and uh <laughs> you know uh, the Rothschilds is <laughs> talking about the unknown soldier and his guardian angel. Like, what is the other unseen leaders? Like, God? 
This is the laziest. This is the laziest one, and that's saying something. <laughs> I, I'm sure he considers himself an unseen leader in a lot of ways, even though his job is about getting attention, which I think he he did with this piece, at least in our little bubble, because it was so funny. Yeah, he got attention from us, <laughs> but that's not saying a lot. Not, no, we'll we'll get a couple hundred people to listen to this and. Uh, they'll laugh along because this is a really bad column yeah so let's wrap this one up the others unseen leaders the pandemic has been the biggest political disruption of our lifetimes period we have held it together mostly thanks to the selfless efforts of thousands of anonymous public servants everywhere we owe them thanks and uh, and then in brackets hopefully better new year I bet you his column is, like, published right beside, like, Brian Lilly saying that we need to, like, execute. (laughs) I honestly think he's talking about himself there. I think he put himself in his best, best public figures of 2020 list, and he just couldn't. He didn't have the heart to put his own name down. Because imagine if it was, like, number 10, Warren Kinsella. You're welcome. (laughs) Number 10, this guy. It's just a picture of him doing finger guns. (laughs) (laughs) okay let's let's uh let's polish this yeah well that that was the very end um we owe them thanks and a hopefully better new year warren kinsella is a former special assistant to jean chrétien um that was really funny um (laughs) my favorite piece of the year so far and yeah he's a former advisor to jean chrétien like what was he more recently (laughs) All right. Uh, which which one of these pieces do you guys think was worse? Probably the Hewitt one. Like, I had a lot of fun reading the Kinsella piece. Um, like, he's a hack. No one likes him. He's not really a threat, um, except when he sues people for libel, which he does quite regularly. And uh, if you're listening, Warren, and you want to sue us, we'd love the attention. But definitely Hewitt, because Kinsella is, like, total has-been. And he's irrelevant. And nobody likes him. Like I don't even think like I don't even think like Adrian Batra at the Sun likes him. <laughs> He's just a useful idiot. Yeah, and so I I mean Hugh Hewitt is a lot more influential, mm-hmm. right? He's a talk radio host in the States. You know, he's got a column in the Washington Post. You know, the paper that broke Watergate. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and publishes JJ McDonald. Uh, yeah, I, I I mean, the thing with year-end comms is, like, yeah, they're designed to, you know, manufacture consent for, like, the year to come, but they're also dumb and no one reads them, so, I I mean, I don't really care, um, but, yeah, I would go with the fucking old white guy shrieking about China. That was probably worse So, so to like, me. I, I appreciate that you're using the same logic that I, I picked JJ's column last, or two weeks ago. As were some Barbara Kay's women can't be good at chess because they're women um, column. Um, because I, I thought J.J. McCullough is actually treated with a lot more respect than uh, Barbara Kay is. Because people treat him with any level of respect, period. But Warren Kinsella keeps getting jobs with major political parties in this country. Even though everybody seems to know that he's a hack. I mean, he got a job with the Green Party, for fuck's sake. Ostensibly, the political class in the country care about winning and when people aren't winning, they get desperate, and then they hire stinky idiots like uh, Warren Kinsella. 
Um, so I think I think he's kind of here to stay. So you think Kinsella's was worse? <laughs> yeah, I think it was worse. It was also way more fun to read, so I I enjoyed it more, and so it was a better hate read. I found the other right. one was just like, okay, get it, I get it, like China, like Cold War. It's uh, I'm cancel culture. I mean, that's the thing too. The Hewitt piece hit like all the right wing talking that, points. That's the right? thing. Like I. Th- like he talked what he's got china bad israel good woke mob bad conservative majority on the supreme court good yeah i think in terms of these two based solely like never mind uh what the author's like histories are i think if you're gonna go into these pieces and read them as the average consumer uh Kinsella, worse, you're going to get a bunch of, like, clearly opinions all over the map in a certain ranking, some of which I agreed with, some of it which I thought was hilarious, some of which I thought was lazy. If Like, if you read this Hewitt piece with all these talking points and you're not, like, a super critical reader, you, like, you're going to get pulled into it a bit. I, I think it's more convincing that it has, like, a veneer of, like, this is the way things are and... uh I think for that reason, it's a bit more damaging. Beyond these two columns, have you guys read anything good in 2021 so far? Yeah, I read a uh, a tweet um, from an MP by the name of Charlie Angus um, calling out Israel's apartheid policies, particularly as they pertain to vaccinating uh, Jewish settlers in the West Bank and then leaving the Palestinians there to fend for themselves. It made pro-Israel lobbyists lose their goddamn minds, um, which in my view is always a good thing that when they're so used to getting their way all the time and politicians just declaring their undying loyalty to the state of Israel, that when they don't get what they want, they just throw a complete hissy fit like a spoiled child and you love to see it there's a great facebook post uh charlie angus wrote as a response to neighbor who accused him of anti-semitism practically for pointing out this reality and then making all these lame ass arguments that they totally like emailed the israeli consulate to uh ask them what to say and they're like no no no, no. they didn't ask for it Like, what do you mean? Palestinians didn't ask for it. It says it in this article. So just ignore everything else that's written in this article. And remember, they didn't ask for the vaccination. You know, if they had asked nicely, of course Israel would have given it to them. They're the the most democratic country on the face of Earth. Yeah, yeah. They definitely wouldn't have asked for something in return. And so, yeah, yeah, like intelligence or anything. No, I mean... The state of Israel. I mean, Benjamin Netanyahu is a humanitarian. And if you don't think so, that is a hate crime, um, which is why we need to implement the uh, IHRA definition of anti-Semitism. No, but um, that was great. Uh, Thank you, Charlie, for uh, standing strong and, uh, yeah, holding your ground in defense of uh, rights and justice for the Palestinians as part of upholding just rights and justice for everyone. 
And it was a pleasant surprise because I didn't know, I didn't think Charlie Angus was particularly good on that issue. And then another, an actual article I read, actually, we were talking about Bosnia. And there's a really good piece in the Financial Times. In case you were wondering, hey, whatever happened to Bosnia? Don't hear about it much since, uh, you know, the Dayton Accords in 1995. And it turns out uh, things aren't going so well in that. um, But yeah, anyways, it's a good piece. It's by Valerie Hopkins, um, who reports from a place called Britchko, I believe, in Bosnia and Herzegovina, which is probably going to be another flashpoint for conflict because both the Serbs and Croats claim it. Uh, I kind of half read something based on your <laughs> suggestions uh, during the pod. Uh, it's a piece by Nora Loretto in Passage called Canada's Vaccine Hoarding and Refusal to Support the Call to Make Vaccines Easier to Manufacture and Distribute Should Be a National Shame. Kind of a wordy title, but she uh, sort of talks about Canada's vaccine hoarding and a shitty global citizenship and the ramifications of that and uh, i'm interested in giving it a more proper read through uh after we end the pod because it's hard to podcast and read at the same time a new piece of uh, literature but uh, i don't know i've been, yeah, I've no, been podcasting and reading is like drinking <laughs> <laughs> yeah you gotta do but it more fun. to get good at it you know um. oh my god oh my goodness that's jeremy appel best person on twitter um okay let's wrap this one up um bye bye